Hi everyone, welcome to the Human Software Love Podcast. My name is Louise Campbell. I'm a digital design researcher, or UX researcher for short, and I'm privileged to have worked for some of the biggest and best technology teams and companies in the world, including Facebook. Human Software Love is a place where I share conversations and stories with my favorite people and also colleagues in digital product and service design, user research, software engineering, product management, and growth marketing. We'll also take a look at the lives of the people I interview and learn how they got to the top of their careers and what inspired them in the early years. We dive into the top five digital moments, moments that shaped their careers. And finally, we ask, what would they take with them if they were selected to go on the first trip to Mars? Hi, everyone. My very special guest this week is Mike Atherton. He's a content strategist at Facebook. He's also a keynote speaker and digital transformationist. He joined Facebook in 2016 in their head office in London. He has a bachelor's of science in electronic imaging and media communications from Bradford University. He's also an author of a recently published book called Designing Connected Content, which is now available on Amazon. Welcome, Mike. Hey Louise, thanks for having me. You're welcome. So, I know what my listeners want to know is, is like, what were your early years like? What, what was it like growing up in Mike's house? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess like a lot of people, I started out as a child. It was in the north of England in Bolton. Um, and I was the youngest of uh, five children. Uh, I've got two older brothers and two older sisters. Wow. Um, yeah, and uh, my brothers... Uh, I think just hit the right age to be kind of late teenagers, just as like the 1980s um, home computer craze hit. The house was always like full of technology and all that kind of thing. And I was very, I was exposed to it all from a very early age. Yeah. And of course, being the youngest child, I was sport rotten and had all the best toys and everything. Like big track and all those kind of things and you know, view masters and weird Rubik's oh, cool. cubes and stuff. Yeah. So what would you say is your first digital moment that really had any kind of... Uh lasting memory for well you. yeah i mean i guess you know i mean my my brother john would um uh, i remember him distinctly um uh, getting a sinclair zx81 kit and back then i mean com- computers were something that was a hobby you know a hobbyist kind of endeavor and you get these electronic kit of parts in the in the post that you solder together yourself and he used to write um programs on the f- on this computer for me to play. I mean, very, very primitive stuff. No color, no sound, um, but just little kind of text response programs. Cool. And I was just absolutely fascinated with it. 
I mean, back then, the idea of actually making anything appear on the television screen yes. that wasn't television yes. was was just phenomenal, right? Yeah. Uh, um, so are you saying this was hooked up to the TV? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just a little kind of black and white portable TV. Yeah. It didn't matter because the computer didn't have any color anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you're so used to TV being this thing that like, you know, the, the magic roundabout comes on and then suddenly it's something you can interact with and yes. you can influence the outcome of. Yes. As a young child, I mean, that's like phenomenal that this, this and now, of course, it's second nature to people. Yeah. I mean, I was always sort of a bit arty and a bit creative at school and a bit of a swat and, and all of that. Oh, I was never okay. really one of those cool kids. I know they made me head boy eventually, but I hated really? it. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's wow. Just, that's like impressive. putting a target on their back. But I always had this ace up my sleeve and that was, we were, we just lived in this kind of crazily technologically advanced household. My sister, uh, who had gone to art college was just starting her own graphic design business. This would have been sort of in the mid to late eighties. Yeah. Um, with a with a Macintosh SE thirty. No which way. Which was cost about four thousand pounds at the time, and I I I have it today. I still You're have it. Still kidding. works. Yeah. Um, and she uh, and she you know she was she was doing graphic design on this kind of stuff with the with Aldous Page Maker and and what have you back in no the, back way. in the day. And I would, you know, I kind of got the bug from there. And so sometimes I would turn in my school essays, not handwritten, as would be the norm by then, but actually typeset. And it was just, you know, people thought I was from another planet. Um, oh, my goodness. Yeah, it, got, it got the bug. That must, have caught, that must have caused quite a stir at the time, I would imagine. Yeah, it really um, did. Especially one, there was one amazing one where there was also, I, I've never seen this since, actually. It was a machine that could... Uh, take uh, laser printed toner, yeah. so pictures that were printed out on a laser printer, and wherever the toner was, it could stick. It could stick it to like a coloured metallic foil, so so you could make like these kind of metallic prints, which looked fantastic. And wow. uh, and I did a I turned in a project like that once, and I got like the best mark, and that was really good. I mean, computers and and what have you, as which you know, again, it's like back in the day, they were sort of these appliances. They weren't as ephemeral and certainly not networked in no. the way that they are today. Yeah, there were these things that you kind of, you know, we called it human computer interaction because it was between you and the machine, and that yeah. was you know that was where the magic was. What made you decide to uh, choose the particular subject? At uni that you chose. Uh, it was it was a very strange um, random collection of things, which in retrospect was actually very well suited to me because I'm a sort of my whole career has been a kind of random collection of things, uh, um, and I knew I wanted to do something that was a little bit sort of computery. Yeah. And it, we were just on the cusp. I mean, this was sort of ninety two. Yeah. Uh, just on the very early cusp of like computer based multimedia. Can you remember what kind of software that you, you were introduced to there? Well, there was various things. I mean, there was uh, Corel Draw, which is still very close to my heart, though I'm often mocked for using it. But I used it since version one um, to do all kinds of posters and things like that. I used to run, run the student cinema um, at Bradford, and uh, I would make all the posters that would, that would go out in the halls of residence and stuff, and I had to design them based on... That's awesome! In those days, there was no, like, looking on Google Images and, buy, and finding something. Yeah. There was a great CD-ROM that Microsoft put out called Cinemania, which was 
kind of like an IMDb, but like an offline IMDb on yeah. a CD-ROM, you know, of a much smaller thing. But I could I could steal pictures from there and I could sort of blow them up and trace them in CorelDRAW and make a nice nice poster out of them. Tracing images, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There used to be um, specific programs that you could do that with, wasn't there? It's good fun, good fun. And all of the, all that kind of stuff, and um, and uh, you know, messing about with very early like three D software, like three D Studio, and things like that. Mm. It was a really good time for for interactivity and multimedia. Mm. All these different things, which are now quite distinct and mature disciplines, yes, were just kind of all like mushed together, really, and mm. no one really knew like what was going to go off. And of course, we had our first attempts at like virtual reality and stuff, mm. um, which failed, and then it's come back again, you know, yes. now. Uh, and then I say lots of kind of 3D ray tracing and rendering and stuff, which is now just so, sort of sort of so part of the fabric of filmmaking and storytelling and just mm -hmm. media that it's not even a separate discipline anymore. Mm -hmm. um, Were there any people there that made an impression on you? Um, any teachers or mentor mentors? Um, so I was always attracted to kind of very like entrepreneurial spirit people. Mm -hmm. I remember re reading Richard Branson's like but when I was, you know, 19 or 20 or something, I thought, oh, I could do this. Yeah. Uh, and then I never did, really. I just went and got a job because I'm too lazy. Tell me about um, your early career. Where, where was your first job and, and how, d how did you get it? Yeah. So I, I graduated from Bradford being sort of vaguely qualified to do, like, almost anything in multimedia. Yeah. But not very qualified to do anything. Um, and about this time... Um, you know, the internet was starting to take, or the web, I should say, was starting. My next digital moment would have been actually being introduced to the um, to to the internet, like, yeah. you know, in sort of, well, I guess, 92, 93. Yes. Um, when we had the, the Sun Spark stations in the... Oh, I the, remember those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We had yeah. To, went down to the computer centre and had those things, and so sort of learned some, like, Linux commands to... To, to, to log on and, and, and figure out with Archie, the, the text-based search engine that you could search for FTP sites and uh, uh, and then go on Usenet and have so all, having all these very weird conversations with weird people and having downloading all <laughs> kinds of weird things. So it was like, oh, there's stuff that you can download like from another computer that's yeah. somewhere else in the world. Oh, and how? And then I remember like one night and, you know, winter of... I think 93 it was, and we were sort of sneaking into the computer centre late at night to download Doom when it was on, on, on its launch day and, like, get it onto floppy disks and stuff. Um, but I digress. But, um, but so, yeah. I love so that story. <laughs> so, anyway, so I came... So we did everything, and we did everything on that course. Everything from, like, mock TV studio magazine programme yeah. to, like, soldering capacitors on a breadboard to doing a, like, critique of Reservoir Dogs <laughs> or... And that was just like a normal week for us. Like, you know, you come out of there and think, well, what am I, this, none of this translates to a job. Like, what, what, what do I do now? Um, what, but I, what did you do? So I got, I basically, I got the Media Guardian that came out, I think it was every Thursday or something, and it has a bunch of like jobs in, and that was, you know, where we were. That was a place to go, wasn't it? Was, it? it was a place to go in, yeah. in those days. And I basically applied for everything. I said I could be anything from like a runner to like a, a VT operator to a, to a um, like do something in print, like a print designer. Yeah. Um, and the job that I got 
was called Internet Graphics Designer, Graphics Plural, yeah. um, for a TV company, uh, which was Flextech Television, yeah. um, that ran a, a brace of quite low-quality television channels. Um, but including Bravo, which was my favorite CB channel as a, as a student, because it showed like all like the Avengers and the Persuaders and the Saint and stuff like that that I was into at the time. Um, and I got to work there and it felt like it felt, it felt like coming to the fun factory, you know, and like I got to work at this place that yeah. was one of the actually Bravo was the first UK uh, TV channel to have a website. Um, Amazing. And, and did you was that a move from from where from where did you move? To? Oh, I was so I, I, I not long graduated from university in Bradford. Mm-hmm. I think I went back to Bolton for a summer to to do a bit of uh, summer work and then I was and then I was coming to London straight and, down uh, to London yeah yeah and trying to make my way in London as a young 22 year old fresh faced person oh, never really I been mean, to was, London I before yeah. but it was it also really incredibly I mean I was just so busy yeah um, and uh, and just you know and very excited to just be thrust into this whole new world of like you know the media TV scene in the 90s and yeah. it was kind of crazy and a bit excessive at times yeah um and uh, and I was just sort of trying to kind of keep my head above water, really. And what kinds of things were you doing there? Well, I was. We had, I say, we had um, Bravo and Trouble was another TV channel, and a um, bunch of like living ones and and Playboy TV of all things was our was our <laughs> job was to make websites for all of them. And this oh, was wow. back in the day when, and maybe it's we're still in that day where. It was just a case of having a way. It didn't really matter what the website was. Yeah. And and often just having a website. Yeah. And often like figuring out what the website should be was the hard bit because there was no real need for it. <laughs> um, but it was but it was so interesting because uh, I mean uh, you know to where I've ended up now working in in content strategy. I mean back yeah. then really it was all content strategy because the web had come from publishing. Yeah. And so it was all about just putting text content onto the internet. Yeah. Um, and the you know the Bravo one in particular, and um, we would have like a letters page that people would like write into the into the into the website, and we yeah. would publish their letters. It's that funny you know what is it that Marshall McLuhan says about it? we always kind of look to the future through the rearview mirror, and it's yes. you always kind of take those models That's from what so we knew be- what we knew before, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was a lot of just it was building these websites. Yes. In very what today would be very primitive tools and, and you know, very, basically static HTML. Yes. Maybe a Perl script on the back to handle an email. Um, and then sort of running them, edit, but more, running them editorially so that they were f- had fresh content every week and, you know, you know wow, kept so up you were, So you were not only building them, you were also running the editorial side. Well, that was it. I mean, those weren't separate jobs no. then. I mean, there, there was no. no real distinction between designer, developer, information architect, sort of researcher. We didn't really do any research or asked you anything. It, <laughs> it was, was like, like, you just put this, it was, a, it was like making a poster or making a brochure or stuff. You just kind of just willed the whole thing into existence so how did that lead to other other opportunities um well it was very interesting because i think it was a great sort of apprenticeship to do everything yeah I mean, literally from sort of writing the content to making the animated gifts to ftping the whole thing up to the site yeah you know to to checking that you know people were seeing it on the other end that it worked on a 28k modem and all of that kind of stuff um, before those things separated out into different into different disciplines. Yeah. Um, but it always felt I always felt that I wanted to get sort of deeper into the core of like the very essence, the very gestalt of what something was. And 
what became sort of, I guess, visual design mm. or sort of like interface design felt in some ways too superficial for me because it was kind of, it felt like that was the very end or the very surface. Um, and what I wanted to go was under the surface and closer to the core of it. Yeah. And that led me towards information architecture. Okay. Um, which is, you know, that sort of dusty relic of the 90s in some ways. Um, and quite a, a forgotten art in, these, in this day and age. But I really feel that too. Like, yeah, I think there's that, a couple, couple of reasons why that is. I mean, I think, well, I think there's a few reasons. One is that one is that people like to pay for things that they can see, and and information architecture, like user research, is that sort of like vague middleman stuff. I still, I mean, I've worked on a few websites that really needed a good information architect, mm. and then we've applied a scientific method yeah, to get to yeah. where to where it should be, and I've seen great success on products that have been struggling beforehand. Yeah. So I, I still think there really is a, a strong need for it. Oh, I, I think so too. There must be some method to what you're doing, whether yeah. you actually can give it a name or articulate it or not. Yeah. Um, but I've always found that the, the better that you understand why things work in a certain way, the, yeah. the more mastery you can you can have of them. Yeah. And that it is a specialism in itself. And, yeah. um, and it makes it easy to sort of debug when, when designs go wrong. Do you run information architecture workshops? I have done, yeah. I used to teach General Assembly and teach their user experience course. Yes. Uh, but as part of that, and, that, and alongside that, I would teach uh, an information architecture uh, class to help people understand. Yeah, tell that. me more about that. It was quite fun, really, because yeah. it it's when you when you're doing teaching, you're always kind of looking for memorable teaching aids, um, and so every time we ran the class, I'd go out and get one of those sort of big buckets of assorted sweets, um, just little candies and lollipops and stuff like that, uh, and I'd give each table one of these buckets um, and ask them to sort them, and give them no other instructions and say, okay, just to, just sort these, would you? And and then they would sort them, and sometimes they do it by size, sometimes it would by color, sometimes yeah. it would by flavor or sweet and sour or jelly and hard and soft and those kind of things. Um, and then we compared and we talked about you know why they'd made the decisions that they did, um, and that was a good lead in to talking about well you know the, the the ways that we can classify any pieces of information. Do you tell me what opportunities that led to? And, and what you're working on now. Sure. Well, I mean, the, the great thing about teaching was it, I mean, it really ignited a newfound love for teaching in many ways and also sort of made me fall in, fall in love with UX again after I sort of, I got, I got into it before it was cool. Mm -hmm. um, and then it got, a UX became this big sort of juggernaut thing and it became kind of a little bit overwrought and everyone was about empathy and no one had any hard skills and and I kind of, I got very jaded about it, especially mm. after several late nights in my, in my agency life, like making oh. rubbish, like microsites for, you know, drinks clients and stuff and just kind of things that very little value. I thought, oh, really? Uh, and so I was kind of put off it for ages. Through teaching it to students, I yeah. found that I had all this experience that mm. I wanted to make use of yeah and I found I, you know, had a, I had a love for, for, for sharing it. Mm. Um, and that, you know, that really made me feel that, like, at this stage in my career, the best thing I can do is to, is to help, like, develop people and help develop their, their skills. Yeah. Um, and, and also continue to find new skills for, for myself. Yes. Um, so, 
so from there, I mean, it was you know, I think when I when I left General Assembly, I I was still kind of wondering, well, what what what's the next adventure? What's it going to be? There's never really been much of a plan, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but I had known that um, that what one of the parts of, of UX that I really did like yes. was communication, and, it, and again, mm. it was it was partly about the information architecture. Yes. But one the one big blind spot of what of of IA is what is the content. IA yes. will tell you everything about what the content's about to be filed, but it it has no opinion about whether this content is any good, it's well written, or whether it's entertaining. And I felt like I, I I've I, you know I finally got there. For ages, I thought it was all about the interface and the design and the layout and those kind of things. Yeah. And actually, no, it's not because there's just holders. And I finally yes. got to the thing that it's about. It's not even the structure, though that helps. Yeah. Though yeah. That, I do have another revelation about that Please, for later on. Go. But anyway, but I got into content strategy and um, uh, and yeah, and, and now here at Facebook, I mean, one of the things that I really like to um, spend my time on is not just providing a voice to our products, but to help my fellow content strategists uh, expand their, their palette of skills. What does that look like? Yeah, so I run the continuing education program here at Facebook and uh, for content strategy. Oh. Um, and we scheduled classes for that anyone can attend yes and that might be something like terminology or ia it might be i do a class on sort of brand strategy and brand development wow i had no idea yeah oh, was that something that you knew you would be doing before you arrived or is that something you so i i think so i mean when i when i interviewed here i was you know extremely privileged to even get to interview yes um but i knew that i had to really put forward my manifesto for what i wanted to do yes. not not explicitly but in you know in so many words i wanted to say look this is me and this is what i want to do yes and if that's a good fit for you then fantastic and yeah. if it's not then i wouldn't be happy anyway yes um did they send you an outline beforehand of of what they wanted you to cover well this the, the for all new content strategists that, that we hire there is a yeah. sort of a, there's a screening process and then there is a an exercise that we make people do yeah um i say make people we ask people to do um and that's quite free form by design yeah um and it is an opportunity to kind of really just show yourself and show what your interpretation of content strategy is and really kind of just show the kind of things that you'd want to do. Yes. Um, and that's, and that's what, I, what, I, what I did. I, I, rather than talking about, um, you know, very kind of um, uh, like interface copy or, or, or language or something, yeah. I talked some more about the semantics of uh, some of the uh, some of our pages product, which is um, is is using keyword extraction, not entity extraction, and it's a bit IA and a bit nerdy. Um, but it just kind of I just wanted to sh to say like this yes. is the kind of thing I'm interested in. Yes. And I did it through a, through an exercise, and they hired me, which I took as some you know incentive that. Um, I was interested in that stuff, yeah. And it turns out that you know a lot of people here are interested in that too, and I can I can share that that expertise. That's amazing. Them. What was your first few months like at Facebook? A lot of finding my feet. Yeah, it's very very fast. The thing that was a, the biggest surprise is that there's really nobody to tell you what to do. 
everybody has a manager. Yes. But your manager doesn't isn't your boss. No. And doesn't tell you what to do. Yeah. Um, it doesn't even really tell you if you're doing it right. It's yeah. like you have to kind of find these things for yourself. Yes. And what I say to people now, which is what I realized in those first few months, is that, you know, whatever your job is, whatever your job title is, yes. your real job is just to find things that need doing and do them. Exactly. Uh, and yeah. if you can find things which are the most important things to do, then you're doing well. Yeah. Um, and and that's been, you know, it's been a great fit for me because I say I have had this kind of like very kind of random career yes. where I've done lots of different things because I just wanted to try them. Yeah. Um, and now I get to ex you know uh, to explore that here doing everything from sort of writing brochures to designing products yes. to training new staff to recruiting new staff so could you tell me a little bit more about any digital moments sort of big digital moments you had when you first started at facebook is there anything which stands out to you that you can share with us i think it was understanding the scale of it that was i i mean i knew like we all know the scale of facebook but you don't really kind of connect with it until somebody says, oh, you know, we're going to do some small-scale user testing and we're going to turn this on for Brazil or New Zealand. Yeah. Okay. And it's like, okay. And, and under, just understanding, you know, the power of what can happen, um, you know, when you, when you work with a company that is obviously so large but also so dedicated to, to building successful products. Mm. So I work and on a product called Workplace, designed for businesses or, um, you know, kind of work-based use rather than, than social use. Um, I think by its nature, it's, it, it doesn't have the, the sort of global scale of Facebook. I mean, it, it does, but it's but it's separate communities for particular companies. But it's such a joy to find these stories that are coming out of all our customers, the people who bought Workplace, mm. um, and found that, that it could connect their workforce together in ways that, that they never had possible before. What's your favourite one? I like the Starbucks one. So Starbucks is one of our big uh, customers, big yes. success story. And for me, the best thing about Workplace is that it provides a workplace for people who don't have one mm. um, and of course Starbucks people that have been sort of perhaps marginalised by their own companies well or, or are just very distributed to the point of really not having an office or you yeah. know not having any more than sort of maybe their immediate co-workers or in some cases not even having having that yes but wanting to feel connected to something larger yes. I think with all this kind of enterprise software we, 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 we tend to leap to a mental image of you know, white-collared workers is in big, big office buildings, all being in the same place anyway. Yeah. The most interesting stories come from the people who are actually very distributed, in, be it in agriculture or in retail. For Starbucks baristas being able to sort of share new coffee designs or anything with each other across offices, across territories, across countries, with the device that they already own, so they don't even have to wait for some kind of weirdly IT-provisioned, like, BlackBerry or something. They yeah. can just use their own iPhone or Android That phone. is a fabulous story, isn't yeah. it? You know, people that are using Instagram have gone into the coffee shop yeah, and yeah. said, I want this coffee. And then all of a sudden, in that whole area, that location, everybody wants this coffee. And then Starbucks can respond really fast to a particular area, you know, with um, demand for specific types of coffee ingredients by sending messages about their warehouse, etc. So it's pretty powerful. It's, it's amazing, they can, yeah. They I can mean, 
It's, yeah. Well, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it's, you know, we, we, we say at Facebook, the company mission to sort of bring the world closer to together. Um, and sometimes those big, those kind of big missions, you think, well, yeah, right. I mean, that doesn't really affect me, though, does it? But then, but you, but then it does. You know, yeah. all those little ways that 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 can build community and build, yeah. build people together. Yeah. So, so Mike, um, you've got, or you've been chosen to go on the first trip to Mars. Oh wow! Thank you. You're trying to get rid of me. Unless you've got any other digital moments. <laughs> outstanding that we haven't covered yet. Have I got another digital one yeah. moment outstanding? Uh, well, I said that one might lead into the other. No, the other thing I, I remember, I, was, I, I put a pin in it earlier. Yes. I was, was going to talk about IA and content strategy, or rather it being all about the content that's important. And that's sort of true. But when I was at the BBC as an information architect there, I, I met some people that really kind of turned my thinking upside down and, and paved the way for how I approach content now, which is that the medium doesn't matter. Mm. You know, people aren't interested in web pages for the fact that they're web pages. They're not interested in the documents, not really. What they're actually interested in, what we're all actually interested in, yeah. is the stuff that's in those documents. Yeah. It's the stuff that those pages are about. Yeah, and what they're saying. Yeah, it's like yeah. all the sort of like the people and places and things and dogs and cats and footballers and space shuttles. Those are the things that we're actually interested in. Whenever we do a Google query, typically we're sort of referencing some real world thing, right? Yeah. And we want some information about that thing, but it's not the document we're interested in, it's the thing. Mm -hmm. And when you're in when you're in the job of document classification and structure, yeah. understanding that is a big revelation because it's not about because I'd come from a world where, you know, you'd have like homepage and like videos, news, blog and like you remember when you used to have like links as like a, as a separate oh, yeah, like, links. yeah menu item and stuff yeah uh, and like thinking that was like just how you organize things but it was like well but why but why because yeah. it makes no sense right it's like once you realize that people are actually interested in things you can make pieces of content about specific things like one piece of content per thing yeah um, and because each thing is a real world thing you can say that you know Charles Dickens was an author of a Christmas Carol, which he wrote in Vic the Victorian era, which referenced the sort of social poverty of the era, uh, has been adapted into movies and plays and stage shows. And each mm -hmm. one of those things can have content about it. And the way that it is structured mirrors the way that it's, the, the, that is actually structured in real life. Mm -hmm. So you can build those information architectures uh, in a way that sort of brings understanding and meaning to the content mm. just through the connections. Mm. And that was, yeah, I mean, that changed everything. Um, Amazing. And uh, as it happens, I've just written a book about that, which is which is coming Have out today. You? Yeah. What's it called? It's called Designing Connected Content, and it's available to all good retailers right now. Is it available on uh, Kindle or Amazon? It is available on Kindle okay. um, in uh, the Amazon uh, UK and US stores. Yeah. Um, and also available on paperback, though out of stock as I look right now. Uh, I'm sure it'll come in stock before Christmas. And actually, if you if you have to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Mike Atherton on Twitter. Um, there's a forty percent off coupon. Okay, uh, great. That's fantastic to know. And so, where can people get hold of you apart from Twitter? Well, if you're ever in Reading, you can <laughs> pop in for coffee. Um, 
Other than that, I'm sort of, I'm probably on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. Mostly I'm on Twitter. Okay. Um, and mostly I just kind of hide away from the world. Okay. But, uh, but, well, you wouldn't be hiding away if you were on your way to Mars. Perhaps you could... Why uh, am I going to Mars, Louise? So the first six people are going there to actually populate Mars. Ah. So you might want to take your wife with you. Or girlfriend. I was thinking about this and I thought, I can't just take my my favourite three people because A, that would be like a horrible thing to, to like, to, to, for everyone else who wasn't mentioned. Yeah. But also it's like... things? Would you... you I think it's... Well, I think it... But I think if it was about people, then perhaps it's about the skills that I think I would need or or perhaps don't have. Yeah. Um, And I was thinking that perhaps, you know, I... Somebody, especially in a primitive culture who can sort of you know, make something out of nothing or can just, like, whip up kind of crazy inventions and stuff. Um, and uh, I thought maybe, like, of Adam Savage from, from Mythbusters, who would be kind of very kind of practical and able to, to weld things. Either that or Wilf Lunn, who was a sort of crackpot inventor from the 80s. Uh, people, then. You would take people. I would take, I would yeah. take people. No, I would yeah. take people. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to be on Mars on my own. No. Um, who else? Alison Moye, maybe? Yeah. Um, she's, uh, you know, I'm a very big fan of her um, yeah. music, always have been. She's, she's, she's a right good laugh as well. We often trade uh, jibes on Twitter. Not, not really. I, I think I responded to once a, a, a query about garage band and she said thanks sort of like perhaps embroidered the rest of it in my head but it's but in in in, in my mind we're friends and uh and who else maybe bill Oddie. just you know yeah because like ornithology and a bit of comedy and music so you got really got everything you need haven't you isn't it though it it'd, is. it'd be fun though wouldn't it, it would wouldn't it mm-hmm. it'd be fun all right so thanks mike it's been a pleasure talking to you today thank you louise it's thank been you fun. thanks Thanks for joining me for this week's show. My next show is in two weeks' time. If you know of someone who's at the top of their career in design and technology and would be a great fit for the show, please head over to iTunes and leave a comment. Or you can email me at louise at louisecampbell.co.uk. I'm also excited to announce that the show is now available on iTunes. And if you like what you hear, please head over there and leave me a review. We would love to get to new and noteworthy and your ratings will help us get there. I also have a brand new logo designed for the show by Daniel Guidita and please check it out. If you're struggling with your UX or research design career and are looking for step-by-step guides to get your first design client or how to get your first high-paying contract, please head over to my website upskillmastery.com for tons of free content to help guide you to the top of your career. And remember, as Steve Jobs famously once said, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that all the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, your destiny, life, karma, or whatever. This approach has never let me down, and it's made all the difference in my life. Thank you, Steve. Good night, everyone. I watched TVs. I literally did.